Welcome to Native America Calling, I'm Sean Spruce. Tribal museums serve an important purpose. They're a resource hub, they house archives for important and sacred items, and they're always buzzing with educational and cultural activities. And the knowledgeable people curating exhibits are also some of the same people advocating for the return of important cultural items and heavily involved in NAGPRA efforts. As the first ever Tribal Museums Day approaches, we're getting the celebration started. We'll be back after the news. National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. President Biden on Wednesday told tribal leaders he made a commitment to tribal nations as a U.S. senator in his 30s. Then when he ran for president and is now continuing his promise to tribes as president of the United States. Biden says he's respecting nation-to-nation relationships. He made the remarks at the White House Tribal Nations Summit taking place in person in Washington, D.C. Biden says his administration has worked on strengthening relationships with tribes and has made financial investments in Indian country. He says tribes not only have a seat at the table, but also have Native American representation in key positions, including Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland. On my watch, we're ushering in a new era and advancing a way for the federal government to work with tribal nations. And it starts by appointing Native Americans to lead the, the front lines of my administration. You know, starting with Secretary Holland, uh, Holland we uh, We've, we've followed dozens of Senate-confirmed Native American officials, over 60 Native American appointees all across my administration, including in the federal courts. Biden says he also restored the White House Council on Native American Affairs to improve coordination with federal agencies and tribes. The administration is making a number of announcements this week relating to its work in Indian country, from sacred site protection to measures to boost economic development to Native language preservation. About 10 tribal leaders met privately with President Biden Wednesday. Central Council of Clinkett and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska President Richard Peterson was one of them. It was pretty great. Uh, actually, was one of a few tribal leaders selected to meet the president. So that was pretty special. Peterson says tribal leaders were able to have a brief moment with the president to share priorities. Peterson mentioned the taking of land into trust by the Bureau of Indian Affairs for his tribe. According to the Interior Department, that recent action is the second fee-to-trust acquisition in Alaska since the passage of the Alaska Native Claims Settlement Act in the 1970s, and it's the first in five years. The land is located in Juneau. Among things, it will help with federal services and programs and foster economic development. So it's pretty historical, and so we're appreciative of that. Talked about some of the other issues, you know, talked about broadband, ARPA, infrastructure. You know, it was very fast, <laughs> Peterson says he's grateful to have had a moment with the president. He says under this administration, tribes are seeing more Native American and Alaska Native representation in Washington, which is helping tribes gain traction on their priorities. Vice President Kamala Harris also addressed tribal leaders Wednesday. She reiterated the nation-to-nation relationship building and the administration's commitment to tribes. The White House Tribal Nation Summit continues Thursday. 
Montana U.S. Senator John Tester Wednesday announced the introduction of a bill that aims to provide more support for homeless Native veterans. Aaron Bolton has more. The bill would carve out a portion of housing vouchers for use by Indigenous vets enrolled in the VA and tribal housing authorities. The housing vouchers are offered by the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development and given to vets enrolled in VA case management services. Native Americans serve in the military at higher rates compared to other racial groups, and studies indicate that Native veterans experience the highest rate of homelessness, according to the VA. The bill would also require that both the VA and HUD consult with tribes to better offer resources to homeless vets and report to Congress on the issue every five years. The current term of Congress is scheduled to end in the coming weeks. In Columbia Falls, I'm Aaron Bolton. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Program support by Penguin Random House, publisher of Probably Ruby by Lisa Bird Wilson, a novel about a Métis woman adopted by white parents who goes in search of her identity. More on this and other stories at prh.com slash stories of the land. Support by Ramona Farms, offering wholesome and delicious foods from our heirloom crops as our contribution to a better diet for the benefit of all people. We are honored to share our centuries-old farming and culinary traditions online at RamonaFarms.com. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce this week in Anchorage, Alaska. Tribally run museums promote Native perspectives on Native history and culture within a system dominated by traditional European perspectives. That means tribal museums are at the forefront of narrative change and have an important role in the conversation of important items and even repatriation. They offer an important voice at a time when other institutions continue to hoard thousands of remains of ancestors and sacred items often looted from burial sites. This weekend is the first ever Tribal Museums Day, an event recognizing the power and beauty of institutions dedicated to history from a Native perspective. The day is organized by the Association on American Indian Affairs, and a disclaimer, the association is an underwriter of Native America Calling. We'd like you to join our discussion today. Please give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE to share your comments on the air. Our first guest is speaking with us from Maryland. Shannon O'Loughlin is an attorney and the CEO of the Association on American Indian Affairs. She's Choctaw. Shannon, welcome back to Native America Calling. Hello, Hello. It's so great to be with you today. Thank you. Great to have you as well. Halito. And Shannon, this is really exciting news. The first ever Tribal Museums Day, Association on American Indian Affairs, helping to lead the charge. Please tell us, why set aside one day of the year just for tribal museums? Well, hey, just like uh, Indigenous Peoples Day, Native American Heritage Month, um, and Tribal Museums Day, really every day... <laughs> is Tribal Museums Day. Every day is Indigenous Peoples Day for us, right? 
but the association this year is celebrating its 100th anniversary serving Indian country. We've been around since 1922, and instead of having kind of the tra traditional nonprofit gala to celebrate our 100th year and try to raise funds, we wanted to focus the attention back on wisdom keepers, back on the ways in which we can help increase our cultural sovereignty and public education about who uh, Native peoples are, Native histories are, and the like. And so, you know, we're having a discussion. I was on the phone with folks from the Zibuwing um, Anishinaabe Lifeways and Culture uh, Museum in uh, at Saginaw Chippewa Tribe in Michigan, and the idea just popped out of all of our heads. You know, we need to celebrate our tribal museums because that's um, the place where the public can go to get the appropriate education about Native histories, and where we all can come together um, in community to revitalize our languages, our cultures, and our traditional knowledge. So that's Tribal Museums Day. That's why we wanted to focus at least a day um, on the importance of tribal museums. Shannon, I'm looking at the press release from Association on American Indian Affairs that was released earlier this month announcing Tribal Museums Day. And uh, I see some tribal museums listed here uh, on the press release. Tell us which tribal museums are participating uh, in this event coming up this weekend. Well, Tribal museum, all tribal museums are participating if they're open. So there's nothing that a tribal museum or cultural center has to do to participate other than open its doors. But if they've chosen to, we have some museums, uh, like the First American Museums in Oklahoma City, uh, the Zibuwing Center, like I said, in Saginaw, um, and a few others that will be joining us live for a streaming event on Saturday to draw more attention to tribal museums and Tribal Museums Day. Um, and, and that starts at two Eastern on Saturday this week. Um, we have a long list of tribal museums on our website at indian-affairs.org, including a nice you know, Google map where you can zoom in and, and try to find a museum that's close to you and also find a link where you can go directly to that that museum or the nation who supports that museum to get more information. Uh, but uh, some museums are offering uh, uh, crafts and arts fairs, especially close to, to Christmas. This is a great time to get people to come in the doors and buy gifts and uh, help support uh, Native art and artists. Um, it's also a time where uh, tribal museums can provide special programming for the event, and some are. Um, it's also a time where tribal museums can provide free admission if they don't already, uh, if they choose to do so. So we're inviting everyone to, you know, call your local museum, see what they're offering on Tribal Museums Day. But whatever you do, just go. Go to a tribal museum. Learn about the land on which you stand and um, the nations that are related to the places that you walk on every day. Shannon, do you know about how many tribal museums there are throughout Native America? There's about 250, um, uh, which is a wonderful number. Some are very small. 
um, and have a, a limited capacity and limited hours that they're opening. In fact, some of the uh, museums, we reached out to all the tribal museums that we could find everywhere in the U.S. and in Alaska and even in Hawaii. And we found that the COVID pandemic is still affecting some of our tribal museums, and they're not open. Uh, so that's really heartbreaking to hear that COVID uh, continues to affect tribes and, and mm -hmm. tribal capacity like it is. In fact, uh, we were at the NCAI annual meeting um, last month, and NCAI passed a resolution supporting Tribal Museums Day and also calling on uh, Congress and the executives to provide more capacity uh, for tribal museums to, to build uh, their infrastructure. Shannon, there are so many museums across the country that feature Native-themed exhibits and displays. And what is it about tribal museums, and what do they offer visitors that these other institutions don't? That's a really great question. And uh, what tribal museums offer is the truth. <laughs> I don't know a, a better way to say it than that. So many institutions um, are Western-oriented and tell stories of Native America from their perspective using our sensitive cultural items to tell the story or those those terrible dioramas, which I'm sure we've all seen. I know last time I was in the New York State Museum, they have still have old dioramas that have been up for decades. <laughs> um, uh, just horrible. And, and so what tribal museums offer is they're, uh, because there's 574 federally recognized tribes, right? And about 400 other um, tribal communities that aren't recognized outside of that. And each one is diverse. Each one has its own story to tell, has its own relationship with the, the U.S. Uh, government as well as uh, the government, uh, local and state governments around them. Each has their own stories, their own culture and, and, and languages to share. And that's what the Tribal Museum is. It's a safe place for all of the public to come to and learn the truth about Indian country and native histories. And not just now, histories, let's let's not leave it there, not just histories, but contemporary Native America. So you mentioned earlier about 250 total tribal museums throughout Native America, and are there more in store? Is this is there a growing movement among tribal communities to open their own museums? Absolutely. Uh, uh, many tribes want to open their own institution and build that capacity because it, it's been part of, of just their own cultural revitalization. And, and along with those, those museums come curational facilities, archives, libraries to help support that museum and help support uh, uh, tribal nation communities uh, to revitalize their culture and also an appropriate space for people outside the tribe to come in and potentially research or learn about um, uh, any particular tribe. Um, so much of the research and um, and education that's been done in native country has, has been outside of our control. Uh, so, so now we're bringing it all 
in-house so you can actually learn from the experts um, on their homelands about what it means to be a citizen of any particular tribal nation um, and the various communities in that nation. Shannon, we're going to have to take a break in about another minute and a half or so. But before we do, I I do want to ask you, what does it take for a a tribe to open its own museum? And does it require extensive resources and expertise to get that up and going? It kind of does, yes. Um, uh, Or uh, because it it may include a, a facility that doesn't exist. It may include a land use. Uh, permitting within the the, the tribal nation um, to build. Uh, so it's if if there's no infrastructure, if there's no building or facility, then it's an opportunity for the nation to determine how it wants to present itself to the public in in a museum space. I mean, we can look at some of those wonderful spaces that are out there already, like um, the National Museum of the American Indian. Um, we can look at, uh, I, I keep going back to Zebawing, um, but Tulalip also has an amazing uh, museum. And of course, First Americans Museum uh, has just been open for a year. And it took that institution a long time uh, to move forward and, and uh, get open. Of course, that, that's, that was with the support of the of all the tribes in, in the state of Oklahoma currently. Mm-hmm. So it, it's not an easy uh, process or endeavor at all. The first National Tribal Museums Day coming up Saturday, December 3rd. That's what we're talking about today on the show. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. The iconic group Northern Cree is marking its 40th year with a new album and a new beginning. That's the name of their new record as the beloved powwow singers keep up their momentum and look to the future. We'll talk with one of the founders of Northern Cree to get his perspective on their legacy and what's coming next. That's on the next Native America Calling. Local tribal museums are the experts of indigenous histories, cultures, and values with the tools to educate the public. On the first National Tribal Museums Day, on December 3rd, participating museums will offer no-cost admission, special exhibits, and live cultural demonstrations. Learn more at indian-affairs.org slash Tribal Museums Day. The Association on American Indian Affairs supports this program. You're listening to Native America Calling today. I'm Sean Spruce. We're celebrating tribal museums, and we want to know, does your tribe operate a museum? Tell us about it. Give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. What about those Native-themed dioramas that uh, were once so prevalent throughout museums? Are you a fan of those, or do you not like them at all? We'd love to hear, 1-800-996-2848. Let's head north now to Kodiak, Alaska, where we're joined by Derek Shayak. He is the language and living culture manager for the Alutic Museum. He's from the Sunak tribe of Kodiak. Derek, welcome to Native America Calling. Tamai, thanks so much for having me. 
Derek, really appreciate you on the show today. And I'm thinking you're looking forward to National Tribal Museums Day. Tell us what events and activities are planned for this weekend at the Alutic Museum. Yeah, so actually all month we have uh, free admission that's supported by um, Matson, which is a local shipping company. Uh, they very generously donated um, the whole holiday month, um, so anybody can come and visit the Alutic Museum here in Kodiak for free uh, and learn about our people and, and, and the work that we do. So tell us more about the museum. Uh, how long has it been open? About how many visitors do you have uh, every month or every year? What kind of exhibits do you have? So the Alutic Museum opened in 1995. So uh, we are—we're actually just going through a, a renovation, or we'll be starting renovation soon to, to redo our gallery space and just expand the mu museum in general. And we'll be um, once that starts, we'll be reopening in our 30th anniversary in 2025. Um, our uh, visitorship uh, really fluctuates depending on the season. So during the the summer, we get like cruise ships and stuff, and we can get, you know. Um, over 100 people uh, in a day um, on good days in the summer. Um, but in the winter season, it slows down quite a bit. We have uh, less people coming to visit the island, and, it, and our, our you know, daily range can fluctuate from you know, just a couple, a handful um, of people to 50 or so. And, and we have our holiday bazaar coming up on um, next Saturday, uh, December 10th. Uh, we'll be having our uh, holiday bazaar where we usually get uh, a couple of hundred people come and, and, and we'll have a, a bunch of artists coming and selling their artwork and um, have an opportunity to um, make that happen for people. And I understand uh, you folks just released a, a new activity book for children. Uh, how's that going? It's going great. Yeah, we, uh, uh, our, the activity book is called Pililida, which in our language means let's create. And, and it was something that we wanted to do um, to just sort of, in, you know, inspire young Native kids especially to let them see, you know, themselves reflected in educational and artistic materials. And 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 we had a, a, a local Alutik Sukhpiak artist named uh, David Tucker did uh, the illustrations throughout the book. Uh, so like the coloring pages and stuff. And then uh, a bunch of uh, the staff members here work together to provide some of the other content, like the word search puzzles and like recipes for um, traditional foods and um, things like that. And then we had other community members as well provide some uh, contributions also. Well, Derek, I got to ask, uh, any dioramas on display there at the Alutic facility? Uh, no dioramas, but we, we do have... Um, uh, you know, when you come into our gallery, our, our exhibits really, you know, of course we have our, our artifacts and, you know, old things, but we also um, try to make an effort to emphasize living culture. And in fact, that's part of our mission is to preserve and share the heritage and living culture of the Aleutic people. And, and so when you look at our exhibits, that's something that we try um, to show. And, and living culture, by that we mean like the idea that our people are still here and that we still live our lives. And it's not just, you know, people who lived here thousands of years ago and, you know, our people still live on these lands and, and we try to represent that in our, in our gallery and exhibits, but also the work that we do uh, outside of that. 
That's good to know because I, so often we think of museums as places to look at old items from the past. And, and what you're explaining today is that museums very much celebrate contemporary Native life, too. And uh, with regards to just the community and uh, the people there um, that visit, that, that live in the area, um, how engaged are they daily with the museum in terms of just having it be a part of their life and a place where they can go as families and as community members and just celebrate and, and be part of their culture amongst other, other members of the community? Yeah, I think we do a really good job of of, of reaching our, our Native community members and, and having this be a space where everybody can come and, and celebrate what it means to be a Lutif or Sukhbef. Um And that's something that we're going to continue to uh, expand. Like I mentioned, we're, we're having a big renovation project soon. And as part of that, we're adding more public spaces. So we'll have a workshop space where people can come and, and, and do like artistic um, things, you know, painting or carving. And we'll have a gathering area as well so that people can, you know, we'll have like the native dance groups can come perform there and or have just have, you know, presentations on, on certain aspects of Aleutic culture and stuff. But yeah, I think I think we, we've made a name for ourselves as a place where, you know, uh, Aleutic people can come and, and celebrate our heritage. Dirk, as we touched on at the beginning of the show, uh, this growing movement uh, of repatriating uh, cultural items, sacred items and such, uh, bringing them back to tribal and community museums such as yours. And I understand uh, you folks are engaged in some repatriation efforts yourself. Yeah, we are. Um, just within the last year, we hosted a, a, a big tribal gathering for all 10 of the tribes in the Kodiak um, archipelago um, to talk about repatriation and, and because that's something that the Aleutic Museum is very passionate about and all of the, our, you know, all tribes as well, of course, are, are very passionate about bringing home ancestors and, and um, so uh, we got together to just sort of prioritize, um, you know, the work that it comes with repatriation and, and repatriation on Kodiak Island is, is, um, not convoluted, but because there's so many tribes in such a relatively small space, there are some cases where um, multiple tribes could make a claim um, for repatriation. And so we, we got together to talk about, you know, what to do in those situations and, and what specific areas of the archipelago different tribes uh, would like to be able to make claims for. And, and in many cases, there's overlapping and, and um, where multiple tribes would like to be able to make claims or be able to talk about, you know, those specific situations and stuff. So the museum um, has kind of uh, taken on the, like a liaison sort of role where, you know, we can communicate with tribes about um, certain cases of repatriation that we're aware of and, and you know, help them in any way that we can, such as offering collection space for storage um, and things like that. So. Well, that's interesting to know that uh, different communities, different museums um, can lay claim to some of these items and, and there might be some some disputes or or some negotiating that has to occur. And, and overall, is that an amicable process when when two different tribal communities both um, lay claim to certain items that they have a, a request to repatriate? I'm, I'm curious how that works and in, in real time. It's certainly amicable. I think our... All of our tribes recognize the importance of, of bringing ancestors and, and 
you know, associated funerary objects home and everything. And so the goal is to collaborate and to work together. And it's not to say that, you know, if there are multiple tribes who want to have the ability to make a claim for a certain region, that they'll fight over who will make that claim. It's just that maybe one tribe uh, doesn't have the capacity to take on another project at that time. So there's another tribe that um, can um, take on the work that's associated with, with repatriation. And, and, and so it really is a collaborative process of, of just making sure that we can bring, um, bring them home. We're speaking right now with Derek Shaya. He's the Language and Living Culture Manager for the Alutic Museum. Uh, he's up in Kodiak, Alaska. And folks, if you'd like to get in on this conversation, just give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. And let's go to the phones right now. We have Jen listening online in East Texas. Hello, Jen. Hi there. I'm so happy to tell you that uh, in East Texas, actually it's further down, further uh, southern East Texas, coming up from Mexico, we have what we call the Caddo Mounds Historical Site, which has its own museum there. And it's, uh, it got blown away several years ago, and they're rebuilding it now. And I had the honor of being there this weekend as we were building a grass house that they had uh, that they used in that period about 12,000 years ago, uh, the Caddo Indians um, built a village and a ceremonial center, and it overlooked the Natchez River, and it was built alongside the El Camino Real, which is the route that the Spanish people took up from Mexico that began to be built along when the settlers came in, so on and so forth. And it's in the Piney Woods, uh, sort of landscape with grasses growing. And it's a beautiful site. If anyone cares to see it, they could just Google Caddo Mound, Elto, Texas, A-L-T-O, Texas, because there is a Caddo Museum in Oklahoma. And, uh, and we're reconstructing everything. And they had the best diorama ever in the world before the museum got blown away. So... Anyway, just there are volunteers doing this now, and it's so important to to make a a statement about the volunteers who work hard to construct this site sometimes. So anyway, that's that I just had to tell you about it. Well, Jen, thank you for sharing this information. Uh, it's Jen coming to us from from southeastern Texas. And, and Jen, I want to ask you because there is some some debate regarding dioramas. Not every uh, native person is a fan of dioramas. So tell us what made this diorama that you mentioned so special, and and why did you like it? Well, because it was so beautifully done as a, as a sculpture artist myself. Whoever did the diorama, it was so correct and it was so well done. I'm not thinking that they're going to do another diorama, but uh, right now they're collecting pottery, that's Caddo and pottery. And uh, we had a great artist from Oklahoma who came down recently and donated this beautiful, beautiful uh, pottery that you could actually cook in. And um, so they're... I don't know exactly everything that's happening with the with the place itself. Maybe they are planning on going into their own museum statehood, but they did have and they're built there's a building there that will house all these items plus having this grass house which is which is like what was used twelve thousand years ago or twelve hundred years ago. So um 
it's very important work that I think these volunteers are doing. They came from Oklahoma, all of Arkansas, all over Texas to volunteer to do this with a great group of people. And I think volunteers in this case are making it what it will become someday. And then the people can visit even today. There, You can take tours through it. It's got these beautiful mounds all around it. And it's, it's, a, okay. it's a place in a gorgeous area. Well, Jen, thanks again for calling in today. And any other listeners who would like to share their comments on the air, 1-800-996-2848. That is the number to call. Joining us now from Nixon, Nevada, is Billie Jean Guerrero. She's the museum director for the Pyramid Lake Paiute Tribal Museum and Visitor Center. She's Pyramid Lake Paiute and Walker River Paiute. Billie Jean, welcome to the show. Good morning, Pisha Awama. That means good morning in our Paiute language. Good morning to you as well, Billy Jean. And uh, our listeners want to know what's uh, planned in, uh, for Pyramid Lake Museum on Tribal Museums Day coming up. Well, actually, our museum will be closed, but we um, do celebrate a number of activities throughout the week. And we're now in our winter season, which is our slow time. And being that the weather is getting colder here, then uh, we're just open during the week. Now, Billie Jean, uh, I had asked uh, our first guest, Shannon, earlier about what it takes to open a museum. And she said one of the most, uh, uh, the, the biggest challenges is just having a facility, a building to actually house a museum. And I understand the museum there in Pyramid Lake has a very interesting architecture. Can you tell us about it? Yes, our architecture here, uh, it was developed uh, back in the mid-1970s as our local committee and elders wanted to see a cultural center. And so a Hopi architect was hired, and he developed the plans for our museum. And they started the work. And I want to mention, first of all, that we're the only tribal museum in the state of Nevada. And as they started construction, the rock work was um, so labor intensive that they ran out of money. And so the design is very unique. It's one of a kind. Um, and we did open after um, they ran out of money. The building was abandoned and sat for over 20 years. But as this area we were designated as a scenic byway, which helped the tribe to have access to grant funding to totally renovate the building and get it prepared. So we've been open since 1998, and next year in 2023, we'll be celebrating our 25th year anniversary, which is very significant for us, and that's our mm -hmm. history there. Well, congratulations on that upcoming 25th anniversary. And, and Billie Jean, there are 27 tribes in, in Nevada, yet uh, yours is the only tribal museum there in the state. And, and you mentioned some grant funding, and I, I understand it's a lot of tribal funding. Is it expensive to, to maintain and, and grow that museum the way that you have? It has been um a little bit challenging, but we do have a current grant which helps us with, um, you know, inventorying our um, 
our archives and, you know, making sure that we practice uh, the best for our collections management. And also through the tribe, they contribute. It, we're tribally supported and we rely on the revenues that come from the lake. And so we also um, partner with several uh, organizations to do some fundraising and special projects. So one of our big projects this year was installing a medicine garden. And that was through the help of what we call the Ripple Team. And um, they were, it's been an excellent project. So we installed our first phase of the garden, which are, is a mountain themed phase. And then we have two more phases, which is to add a desert theme and also a wetlands theme. And that's in the works for this coming year as well. Well, exciting happenings there at the Pyramid Lake Paiute Tribal Museum and Visitor Center. We're speaking with Billie Jean Guerrero. She's a museum director. And any listeners that have any thoughts or any comments to share on our show today, phone lines are open right now, 1-800-996-2848. More guests, more conversation on the other side. This month and every month, remember, one in three Native American adults have high blood pressure. Check it at your nearest community health center. If the numbers are above 120 over 80, talk to a health care professional. Native community well-being is very important. You can take action by visiting heart.org slash hbpcontrol. This support provided in partnership with HHS slash OMH and HRSA under cooperative agreements CPIMP 2112-27 and CPIMP 2112-28. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We are talking about the importance of tribal museums today. You can still join the conversation. Tell us, how do tribal museums benefit your Native community? Or answer this question, how have tribal museums impacted Native America in general? Just give us a call, 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. Right now, we're speaking with Billie Jean Guerrero. She's up in Nixon, Nevada, museum director for the Pyramid Lake Paiute Tribal Museum. And Billie Jean, um, you know, COVID, uh, fortunately, looks like we, we, we've seen the worst of it now. We're, we're emerging from the pandemic. But how was it for, for your tribal museum during the pandemic with the lockdowns and just uh, so many restrictions? Were you folks able to stay open or offer any virtual options for people that want to see the exhibits? We were actually closed for over a year, and we reopened on April 1st of 2021. So during that time, were there any virtual displays or any way that you were able to, to interact and uh, collaborate with other visitors or anybody else interested in, in seeing the museum? We were completely shut down, so because we're very short-staffed as well. We didn't have the opportunity to do any virtual um, displays at all. Okay, but it sounds like uh, recently you do have a new installation that is, is virtual, is that correct? Yes, we do have a virtual uh, display which is connecting to the UNR basket collection and so uh, people come in, and that was just installed in the month of September. 
And so it's been a couple of months. We did a an introduction program on November 10th, and we had a great response with a lot of the local community as well as the university staffing um, that were able to come in. And it's been an additional draw where people come and put the headset on and they can actually pick up the baskets and they can port to different areas of the museum. And it was very well done by the digital technology department at our local university, the University of Nevada at Reno. Well, Billie Jean, thank you for joining us in all these wonderful updates from Pyramid Lake. And uh, we're going to move on to another guest. Now, before I do, earlier we had a call uh, from one of our listeners that shared some information about a museum in southeastern Texas. And I just want to clarify for our listeners, uh, that museum that was talked about, that is not uh, a tribal museum. It's not a tribally owned museum. So I just want to make sure that uh, we have that information out there. But we do appreciate that call and uh, that person who shared that information. Anybody else who wants to give us a call and talk about a tribal museum, please feel free. 1-800-996-2848. Number again, 1-800-996-2848. And we have a fourth guest on the show today. Joining us from Winnebago, Nebraska is Sunshine Thomas Bear. She's the Tribal Historic Preservation Officer, NAGPRA Representative, and Cultural Preservation Director for the Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska, and the Museum Director for the Angel Decorah Museum. She's a member of the Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska. Sunshine, welcome to the show. I greet you all today. Thank you, Sunshine. Appreciate that warm welcome. And um, what's your hope for the impact that uh, this Tribal Museums Day will have within your community there, the Winnebago Tribe of Nebraska? I think that, you know, um, our, our, um, our museum is on the list, uh, on the map that, that Shannon was talking about earlier. And the hope that I think a lot of us share is to bring more people back um, and healing through truth telling. Healing through truth telling. Yeah, it's really important. And earlier we had Shannon mention how tribal museums, they tell that truth in a way that other museums can. And can you give us an example, Sunshine, of a way that your museum there in Winnebago, the Angel Decorah Museum, um, clarifies a historical event or, or tells a truth in a way that you just can't find anywhere else? So our museum is called the Angel Decorah Museum, which is named after a Ho-Chunk artist. So the story that we tell when people first come in and walk into our doors for a tour is that um, Angel Decorah and a group of children, they were here um, on the Winnebago Reservation in Nebraska and um, playing down by the train tracks and uh, somebody, you know, a man came up to them and asked if they had ever been on a train ride. Of course, the children said no. And he took them and he took them all the way to Hampton, Virginia, the Hampton Institute, which is where they stayed. Um, so basically kidnapping um, these children. And I think if you know our families, you know that our grandchildren as a grandma myself, play a huge role in our lives. Um, so, so much happens when our children were taken from us to boarding schools, um, especially without our knowledge um, within the family structure. 
Angel came back uh, and her grandparents were gone, you know, and like I just said, you know, they play a huge role in our grandchildren's lives. So she had nothing here. So she went um, to Carlisle Indian School and she became the first Native American arts teacher. She was also a civil rights advocate back in her time um, and unfortunately succumbed to the Spanish flu. Um, so she didn't um, live long, but I think she made a huge impression, which is why our tribe decided to name the museum after her. Mm. Well, it's a, a really enlightening story, sad story, and one that uh, we've heard before, but wow, just to be thrown on a train like that, kidnapped and, and taken away, just uh, such a sad period of our Native history. And Sunshine, I imagine that there at the museum, uh, you have both tribal members that visit, and then you have non-Native museum visitors. And I'm interested, do you have to really strategize in, in terms of how you connect with with different types of visitors either either native people or non-native people in terms of just how you market the museum and in terms of how you tell the history yeah i think that you know some people don't even know that we exist you know so you have to although you are telling the truth you know you want to be able to tell them something that they can i guess handle um but also reiterate reiterate the truth and how we got here and you know because this isn't our original homeland um we are originally a woodland tribe from the wisconsin illinois great lakes area and after several um removals we ended up here in nebraska next to our relatives the whole omaha nation so they allowed us to come here and that saved us from um crow creek south dakota which is where the Asante Sioux tribe was along with Ho-Chunks and other tribes, and it was the dead of winter. And we, you know, obviously we were not surviving. So had we stayed there, you know, perhaps we wouldn't be here right now. So we tell that story to anyone that walks in the door. But we also have to remember that, you know, some people may not be able to handle what I'm saying. So we just try our best to tell the truth with a bit of sensitivity and um, we don't hold much back. So, you know, it's talking through things a lot when somebody comes on a tour and answering a lot of questions. Now, I know there at the museum, you offer various craft classes. I think you even have an immersion class going on. Are any of those opportunities available for non-native visitors? So there are a lot of classes that we do do. Um, the immersion classroom is through our language program, which is in the public school. It's our first uh, immersion classroom for our tribe. Uh, and then for us, we um, do a lot of classes, beading, sewing, uh, otter for turbans, uh, moccasin making, just a ton of different classes. And we also do Zoom sessions with various schools and stuff, and they are open to the public. I think that one of the important things for us is to reach people that, like I said, you know, we've had a lot of, a lot of visitors that say they didn't even know we were here. So mm -hmm. by telling them the truth and getting them, you know, getting them on the same page, hopefully, 
uh, is, you know, hopefully getting a person that is on our side and willing to hear us and see us. That's really interesting, Sunshine. And uh, it begs the question, and I want to go back to our first guest, Shannon O'Loughlin. She's the CEO of the Association on American Indian Affairs, uh, one of the organizations leading the charge on National Native Museum or Tribal Museums Day. And Shannon, we're hearing uh, just so many really interesting initiatives and um, just some great things that some of these tribal museums are doing. And, and I want to ask you, are, are the guiding principles um, for tribal museums, are they noticeably different um, from what other institutions might think about? And how does that actually play out in terms of how these managers are, these museums are able to to, to cater to, to their tribal members and um, set up these displays and just share so much rich history? Oh, uh, incredible question. And, and I think the big difference is how um, people are involved in the development of what the institution or the museum is going to be about. So when you go to these other museums that are um, – owned and controlled um, by universities or some other type of research institution or another private museum, uh, they often are not developing their museum around Native people. They're developing it around their own research and understanding of who they think Native people are and how their culture and their manifestations of culture have communicated to them about uh, how to showcase and exhibit. Now we see museums like the Metropolitan Museum of Art um, uh, working with uh, uh, indigenous and native peoples to help uh, facilitate their exhibits, but they are not actually consulting with the tribal nations whose items are on display at the institution. In fact, the Metropolitan Museum of Art, um, for example, um, has an exhibit of sacred faces, um, and they are from different tribes, different peoples, and they have them in a glass case all together. And mm -hmm. for those that don't aren't, aren't freaked out by me saying that yet, the problem with that is, is that you have really strong beliefs um, connected with things like sacred objects, including masks, um, and have them all in one space closed off in an airtight space together um, with different masks from different peoples is dangerous. It's spiritually okay. and, and in other ways. Sorry. <laughs> Did I, no, I no, no, no worries. No, this is. No, 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 this is great, but it just, it just makes me want to ask a, a question, and I really am curious about um, what is, you know, the long-term vision with regard to how Native American items and, and, our, and our history and our culture is shared through museums. Do you see us reaching a point, or are we at a point now where they're just all exhibits, all Native American history should be held exclusively through tribal museums, and there just should be no, at some point in the future, would you like to see a, a, a world where we just don't have any non-tribal museums that are, are displaying Native artifacts or, or any sort of significant Native American culture? Is that, is that kind of a goal long term? 
I, I think it's about control. I, I, I don't think it's about the institution itself because there are some fabulous institutions out there that are working well and hand in hand with Native nations to put together exhibits and, and public education opportunities to truly learn the truth about uh, particular Native nations. So all institutions aren't bad, and, and I'm sorry if I'm giving that impression. Um, <laughs> but the <laughs> but, but there's a lot that just are. as long but as they don't have dioramas, right? No dioramas. Well, that's, that's rule number one. Well, unless you know, I've been to various museums all over Indian country, and there's some wonderful dioramas that are actually molded after tribal citizens. So you will uh, go into a tribal museum and sometimes recognize the person who's in the diorama because it's it's one of the leaders of that nation who actually uh, posed for the, the cast. So so that's that's uh, another level, right, of tribal control and and tribal perspective that is not seen in a lot of, of Western uh, uh, museums. Okay. Well, Shannon, appreciate all of your insight to Sunshine. And, and Sunshine, um, I, you wear a lot of hats. You're very engaged there with your tribe. And, and what got you into museum work in the first place? I uh, started out as a special education teacher. Um, and the pay was, um, it was my dream job, you know, but I just could not make it with my children on the pay. It was too low. And then I ended up working for our language department, Ho-Chunk Renaissance. And then this opportunity came up and now here I am. And you've been with the museum how many years now? Um, going on three years now. Three years. And, and your children, do they enjoy coming to, to see you at work and being a part of the museum as well? I think that uh, working here has actually helped us heal. Um, you know, I was adopted and I aim to have this a safe, safe place for others who were adopted or maybe just taken, you know, and don't know their way back, you know. So um, luckily, that's one of the good things about the Internet is, you know, if we have tribal members out there looking for information, um, they come up and find us, you know, like you guys found me the other day. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> okay. just being that safe place for our people to come home to and start to work on themselves. And, you know, that's what it's also done for me and my family. Well, folks, uh, I do want to thank all of our guests today, Derek Shia, Shannon O'Loughlin, Billie Jean Guerrero, and Sunshine Thomas Bear for sharing perspectives and insights on the first National Tribal Museums Day. Join us tomorrow for discussion as we hear from the iconic powwow and round dance group Northern Cree and their new album, A New Beginning. I'm Sean Spruce. Thank you for listening. Close to half of American adults have high blood pressure. Of those, about 75% don't have it controlled. Chief Medical Officer at the Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, Dr. Luke John Day. Have your blood pressure measured yearly by a healthcare professional and regularly monitor it at home. The American Heart Association has developed the Get Down With Your Blood Pressure campaign using music and dance. Learn more at heart.org slash hbpcontrol. They support this show.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davis. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.